Hello and welcome to the Autism in Real Life podcast. In each episode, you'll get practical strategies by taking a journey into the joys and challenges of life with autism. I'm your host, Ilya Walsh, and I'm an educator and the parent of two young adults, one of which is on the autism spectrum. Join me as I share my experience and the experiences of others so that we may see the unique gifts and talents of individuals on the autism spectrum fully recognized. Welcome. This is Ely again. And uh, today I have Andrew Comoro with us. And he is, and again, and, and Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you're a certified financial planner. Yes? Yes. Okay, excellent. And so um, some of you might be thinking, Ilya, why do you have a financial planner with you? But we'll get into that. Uh, but uh, Andrew and I kind of were meeting in a parallel way. Um, we connected on LinkedIn, which is a great way to find you know, connections and meet people in your same industry. Um, but then Becca Laurie Hector also introduced us uh, online as well. And so you and I've had a great chat around the work that you do. And I think it's um, really valuable. And I, I really think, um, you know, my audience will uh, either think of like, wow, I hadn't thought of that before. <laughs> or, you know, and, and if that's the case, then it's like, okay, good, something else maybe to explore. Or I kind of have heard about this, but I didn't know where to kind of go. So, um, so anyway, Andrew, I will let you introduce yourself and what you do, and then we can uh, we can keep going from there. So my name is Andrew Comero. I'm a certified financial planner. I have a lot of other letters after my name. I think my <laughs> business card needs to be double sided. I've have founded my firm to specifically focus on those with intellectual developmental disabilities, uh, even more specifically autism, uh, being diagnosed myself with autism later in life. And my goal is really just to help people who don't even know what questions to ask, where to go, find resources, and really find solutions to problems. If you're not sure what financial planning is, don't worry. I'm not quite sure either. Um, and I, <laughs> there's so many just, but a lot of it is really where you want to go. And then I help you figure out how you're going to get there. Um, and I really like working with a population that's so overwhelmed, so much information, almost like too many resources. And it's like, don't even know what questions to ask. Yeah, I know there's like this. I had always hoped, and when I was at adult services at A&E, there was so many pieces of information. And we had a benefits conference every year, which they still do. Um, and then just in that space alone, there was so much information that we were like, how do we track this so that it makes it more digestible? And one of the pieces would be there would be a smattering of people talking about this topic. Um, but sometimes I think that, that people don't know, like you said, they don't even know what to ask. They don't even know what the questions are and how it fits into the overall um, scheme of things. And, and your website actually does a great job of kind of breaking some of that down. So people, and then if not sure, they just kind of click and you click and it explains things. So I kind of wanted to bring a little bit of that here uh, and talk about you know, again, we have parents on, we have educators on, have some, you know, adults. And so I wanted to pull out the things that maybe parents and educators, you know, would educators kind of coaching around some things that people might not know or their families might not know. And same thing, families saying, oh, I hadn't thought of that. And um, so I'm not sure where you think makes sense to start because I have like a list here, but my list might not be fluid <laughs> as much as you do this all the time. I can still guarantee you that my list is not fluid, right? Because, <laughs> well, for one, because of me, also just because every situation's unique. So why why don't we start with your non-fluid list? That sounds fun. <laughs> okay. Um, so one piece that I had been thinking about was, I think people, uh, I would say families particularly, right? There are so many different um, 
therapies that many kids will go to, different types of education. Maybe they're not going to public school. Maybe they're going to a private school or a specialized school. Like, is that something that would fall under the financial planning umbrella? So I would say, is it something I can help with? Yes. Is But realistically, is it something that I help with? No. Mm-hmm. What I mean is I, I find that most families are, are living, um, you know, at least what I call like an emotional paycheck to paycheck, right? If there's 40 hours of therapy and doing so many things, I find most are barely able to take care of themselves, mm-hmm. let alone plan 30, 40 years from the future. So as much as I want to think that, yes, it's important and yes, they should. I'm also realistic that, you know, it's just not a top priority. Even if I can take almost all of it away, I can't make the decisions for someone. Um, It's important to do something, even if it's something simple and something on autopilot. Um, I'd say the part that you mentioned is, we kind of combine benefits consulting with financial planning. So we have a benefits and resources director whose job it is for what someone might be eligible for, where they should apply, wait lists, waivers, things like that. So in that aspect, we do help, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, that does make sense. And you mentioned something in there about, uh, it's true, I think capacity is very small, especially now, capacity is even smaller. Um, But one of the best bits of advice that I received when I started my first like real job, I'll put that in quotes, um, my manager who was amazing said to me, invest in the 401k. And I was like, I was like 21. I didn't like 401k. What are you talking about? And he was like, just even if you put like $5 a paycheck or $10, there's a match. Like he started getting into it. And I, and I was like, all right, fine, uh, fine. And you know, it's, he was so right. Like that is something that I started when I was like 20, whatever <laughs> plus years ago. And, and it is, it's really can be that small. And we work with a, um, a financial planner now who basically has been with us for a long haul, right? And so, and and as our needs change and our family needs change, he's able to coach us on what we would need and we get to make different decisions. It's not like mandated, obviously, but it's like, hey, these are your options. Which one makes the most sense for you right now, given where you're at? So it, would that be the kind of thing that you would offer? Absolutely. And a hundred percent. I I just... I'm just saying that before, you know, an individual is 18, right? Usually there's so much else going on. I love the people who plan early, mm-hmm. right? But yeah, if things change and, you know, situations change, I say, well, here's some options to consider. Sometimes I get the clients with, Andrew, I really don't understand what you're talking about. Just do it. Um, <laughs> I trust you, but I still usually will explain it to them anyway. Or, you know, there's somewhere... Yes, this could make your situation better, but you could also not do it. So I kind of have a, a no-brainer. A, you really should do it, but it's mm-hmm. not quite a no-brainer, right? And then I right. kind of have the, yeah, you'd be a little better off for this. However, you know, I don't think, you know, it's required. So for example, they they can afford to leave more money to their kids. I say, I've never had someone complain about too big an inheritance, right? I don't <laughs> think that's ever happened. Um, but you don't have to do that, right? right. <laughs> they will be fine. So yeah. I, I try to really break it down, just give like that simple checklist. And, you know, as things change, I get a lot of clients who come to me because their financial planner doesn't understand the complicated world that so many parents, individuals, you know, live in, right? right? And understand all of that. So yeah, so let's get into that a little bit, because that is something with my own um, planner, I had asked if he had done that kind of work, um, you know, just to say, hey, that maybe someone I can refer you to, or, you know, as my own you know, son ages up, like he can, you know, maybe have a chat with you or something like that. Um, but he was like, you know, honestly, and I love the answer was, I don't know enough about that to help you, but I know the people that do. And so I can push you into that direction. So I love when people are honest <laughs> and say, hey, 
I, this is not my area of expertise, but I know people who are, and, and I'm actually talking to one. So, so how, what would that look like for a family? I'm, I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of like a case study family, right? What would that, what's, you must have like a, a template of some kind of family that you would think of that would say, here, we're coming in, my, my child is, I don't know, 13 years old. Um, and, you know, we need, you know, we need to do something. We're not really sure what the future brings. Help us sort of navigate that. Let's just say that's a family. Perfect. And, and that <laughs> happens all the time. And, and thanks for help with the little description because, well, whether the child's just born or 18 or, or again, like, you know, the, the example changes a little bit. Right, right. So, right. One of the first things I always ask is, well, tell me about the child, right? And as weird as it might seem, if we're planning for their future and the child's future, I ask, well, you know, what benefits is he receiving? I ask for, you know, as silly as it sounds, neuropsych evaluations and the IQ score, because depending on the state you're in, that could mean the difference between a lot of funding and supports and waivers, benefits available. And that could mean you know, an expense for the parents of a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, right? Mm -hmm, um, right. Or total. Or So that's something where I start with, tell me about the person, right? And just tell me about what you want to do. Then we really go more into, I'll call it the really boring stuff. So if I ever don't want to talk to somebody, I'll tell them I can sell life insurance. And <laughs> that works. Like even my wife was on a plane trip in February. Like right before all of this and somebody was wanting to talk to her on the plane and she said, yeah. my husband sells life insurance. He didn't say anything for the rest of the flight. <laughs> um, but, you know, I it, at that stage too, it's really about building, you know, assets, building the plan, saving, just like you said, trying to do a little bit, whether it's five bucks a month is probably like the best advice that can be given. The mm -hmm. worst is just paralyzed by so many options, right? And right. just not doing anything. And it's really common, but just to do something, have it on autopilot. But we take a look at, you know, is, uh, is your plan flexible? I say that's the most important thing because you never know how things are going to change. Right. right. So you Especially don't want to now, right. If we're looking at the <laughs> situation we're in now, that's, that's flexibility would be a big thing for many people. Yeah. And you just also don't know, you know, how a 13 year old neurotypical or any sort of needs is going to grow up. Right? right. And what they're going to be and what the future is going to hold. So, but having things in place without overspending, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm very big on being reasonable and it's better to do something small, well, consistently than have big visions and big goals that are not accomplished. So right. I, sorry, I know this was really broad, but, you know, I'd look at, you know, the, the investments, you know, are the investments, right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, take a quick look at those. Nobody knows what their budget is. Right. I mean, we try to have a guess, <laughs> right. You know, I mean, and I can go through it. We can ask the questions, but, you know, it's really more about, you know, checking some of the boxes. So, and how is the future you know, gonna look. Debt is important and just how you spend. I definitely don't tell people to, you know, spend less, right? Especially the 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 female spouse really doesn't would never appreciate that. <laughs> um, you know, being told to spend less on groceries or shopping, but just taking a real, I guess, realistic approach to, you know, okay, well. If you're putting this much away, you know, by the time you retire, you know, you should have this much and well, then right. you should be able to live off this much. How does that sound to you? I call it bad math. Like I can do it and, you know, <laughs> like, and it's actually pretty Na accurate. Napkin I, math. I think we call yeah, it napkin, napkin math. In my napkin house, math. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I can do it in my head. Right. So, <laughs> right. you know, so for example, you know, I. 7% doubles in 10 years, right? Or, you know, so if you could do, okay, you're 35 and you have, you know, $250,000, right? So if it's 65, then that's a million dollars if you didn't add any more, right? right? So, but just simple things like that. And 
oh, well, but then you can take out 40000 a year off a million dollars plus mm-hmm. Social Security. That's 65000 a year. And the person says, well, it's how much I make now. I said, well, that's pretty good. It's, <laughs> you know, it's a little more complicated than that. Right. But I also right. feel my industry complicates things too much on both the autism and the that side of the industry. <laughs> but then there's also the financial planning side of the industry with all these terms and things we use. My yeah. favorite quote is Einstein said, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. Right. <laughs> so I really, and I could talk about the technicals all day, but nobody cares. They just want to know, am I doing the right thing? Am I going to be able to do what I want to do? Right. right, right. No. And that's, and then what, what do I need to do? I think I would add there, what do I need to do to get there? Can I get there? And then if not, what do we have to change to kind of, you know, get bridge that gap a little bit closer? Exactly. 100%. And I I think that we have the added layer, right. Of, you know, many people having um, a child with special needs, or, you know, again, I keep thinking of an educator lens because you have maybe a student who has special needs and maybe the family isn't, you know, can figure out another way to maybe get, um, you know, pay for some of the services that they need or, you know, set, set themselves up in the future. And now I'm thinking more of like that high school teacher, or I'm thinking of the parent who has a student who is, okay, now 16, 17, right? So we're moving that a little bit older. And now we're starting to think about, well, maybe we shouldn't have started thinking now, but now, you know, maybe post high school education is approaching. And then I would... we- yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I would say that is when I get most of my <laughs> phone calls, conversations. Huh, maybe I kind of knew that. <laughs> you know, and, you know, obviously the earlier people come to me, you know, the better. But mm-hmm. I find that's just when a lot of decisions have to be made, right? right. Like before, you know, there's prior to that age, there's, you can, like I said, not only is there so much going on, but these decisions in theory can be put off, right? right? So what I really find is that it's at 18, there's, you know, a change from the school system providing mostly the services and supports, right? To, mm-hmm. you know, the state, nonprofits, governments, parents really providing services and supports. So what I find the the biggest things I find is one is when it comes to guardianship, conservatorship, supported decision making. I don't know if we've spoken about that or you have other people. Um, no, no, I think that would be a great topic actually to talk about. Mm-hmm. So it and what I and I get a lot of questions about that. And although I'm not an attorney, I'm on Connecticut Supported Decision Making's task force. Massachusetts has actually put together some really nice groundwork for lots mm-hmm. of other states in the area. So thank you, Massachusetts. Um, but I, again, it's a lot of asking why somebody wants to do something. Um, and again, finding out what benefits and resources might be available. I find so many parents are really surprised when they realize 18 is a lot different, or 21, right, is mm-hmm. a lot different when the school stops providing support and on one hand, you're like, well, that's not that different than if my child didn't have special needs, right? Like, right. you know, if an 18-year-old, when they graduate high school, you know, then there's nothing for them. Nobody says you have to show up to college classes, right? right. So although there are more supports needed, you know, the earlier the planning can be done, having things in an education plan that are practical, I'm obviously a fan of teaching basic money skills or, (laughs) you know, things of that nature. I think everyone needs them, right? But especially individuals with special needs who are not taught them. Um, So, yeah, happy to talk about some more of the, uh, what I, decision-making, right, for when an adult. Yeah, and I know that, yes, Massachusetts has led the way. And and I remember maybe a couple years ago, 
Um, I think you you mentioned the supported decision making, and there's you know you have guardianship. So let's talk a little bit about that, right? Like you have a, a family who has a child who's now getting close to eighteen. I've I've worked with these families who are yep. concerned that oh my my kid's not going to be able to manage their own money. They're not going to be able to pay their bills. Um, I don't know you know what they're going to do. They want to you know they just want to leave or you know these kind of like very um, anxiety provoking types of situations happen, right? And, and and like you've been saying, you need to know where that particular individual is at, right? We're approaching the 18 and I know that the calls always come like at 17 <laughs> um, when that's happening. So what's, what are the options? I think sometimes families will say, well, we need to be their legal guardian because that's the only way we can make sure that they they will be okay right and they'll be able to take care of the money but i know there are other ways so can you help yep. uh help tease out some of that so and and first off that a lot of when i talk about this although it does turn into a conversation about other things and helping the parents with the rest of the planning a sure. lot of this is more i call it my my advocacy efforts my my business and my personal kind of blend quite a bit especially here Mm -hmm. I have a very strong, uh, I consider it biased, but in a good reason when it comes to not having guardianship or conservatorship. I agree. And, <laughs> and, but I have my bias. But exists. some don't. Yes. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. And so it's always, if you think about school, if we're talking, you know, there's least restrictive environment, right? And mm -hmm. that's what we're supposed to be doing. Well, guardianship slash conservatorship, I'm just going to refer to it as guardianship for the rest, um, you know, is, you know, the most restrictive environment. So why are right. we starting with the most restrictive environment <laughs> that can't be walked back? Also, there's not one person listening to this podcast that has an 18-year-old or had an 18-year-old or was an 18-year-old that thought that 18-year-old could make perfect <laughs> financial decisions and would be great without help or support, right? I totally agree with you, yes, yes. So we also have to recognize that, you know, kids are kids. And by kids, I mean the newly formed 18-year-old, right? Yes, yes. Just because your child has a disability and wants to be stay at home and play video games at 21, I can guarantee you there are tons of parents of kids without disabilities with the same problem, right? <laughs> right, right? Um and what I find is and especially relevant from the educators is you know there's I ask so why are you considering this? Right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes a lot of the answer is because I want to be able to help. I say that's great. But that's where supported decision making comes in. So that's really where you're helping the individual make their own decisions. They can still make their own decisions, but you're able to help. You're able to talk to the doctors. You're able to get medical information. You're able to help with financial information, but they are also able to make decisions on your own. Right. When someone's taking over guardianship, that you're saying that person can't do anything. You're saying... Right that they are incapable of making any decisions on their own. And I just think that sets up a lifetime of failure. I'm not even going to sugarcoat it, right? Yep, of I agree. Dependence and, you know, nobody is completely independent, right? Of right. anyone for anything, right? You know, yeah. everyone, it's interdependence, right? And so, but I really think that, you know, a lot of times I hear the doctor, right, say, well, you need to get guardianship because, you know, otherwise the doctor can't communicate with the parents, but there's healthcare releases, there's power of attorney. Sure. Now, that's what supported decision-making is. It's to allow two people to be able to make decisions together, right? Instead right. of saying this individual is completely incapable of making any decisions on their own. Right. So, and I think a lot of things have been heading in that direction. I mean, I even think you mentioned the healthcare, healthcare example. I mean, when I go to any doctor, they ask me now, you know, is there someone else that we can talk to on your behalf if you're comfortable with that? Now, so for me, that would be my spouse and that is perfectly comfortable to me. But I also have the option to not do that if I wanted to, or I could make it my mother or I could make it a, a close friend. Uh, so, so I think a lot of people don't, 
aren't aware of that. Because again, there's so much out there that we don't know and that we haven't considered until sometimes we're confronted with that situation. So with supported decision-making, I think it's more of a, a formal process for that, correct? Correct. And, and depending what state you're in, it's either formal or you know, informal support decision-making. It can still be accomplished whether or not your state has it, right? It's just a set of documents that essentially allow permission for you know, joint decisions, right? Together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So, and th- that's really it. it. It's relatively simple. So it's, you know, if your 18 year old, you know, went to the hospital and you were the guardian, right? Well, they can't make any decisions, right? Yeah. You have to make the decision. Supported decision-making, they could call you, you could make decisions together, right? Or you would hope that an 18 year old of any capacity would ask their parent if they got into trouble, if something happened and, you know, uh, kids grow up and you can always get more restrictive, but it's very hard to walk it back. You know, when Mm. you take over guardianship of a person, they, they lose constitutional rights. They can't get married. They can't have a job. They can't manage anything. Right. And Also, if you're trying to encourage independence in some way, shape, or form, right, to eventually, right, in theory, your child mm-hmm. will outlive you, right, you're you're not really setting that up very well. No, um, you're setting it up for, for failure, really, right? Yeah, and there's just so much that can't be done. And imagine if you were that person and how you felt, right? There's also court oversight and things like that. And I think it's much better to try and as young as possible, just teach to ask for help. And again, no teenager likes their parent, right? That That's a requirement, <laughs> right? But that doesn't mean, you know, that you should start with the most restrictive option. Nothing says that guardian guardianship is absolutely appropriate and it's absolutely needed in certain situations, right? right. But it's definitely one of those where, you know, it's what, So that's why I ask, well, what are you looking to do? And they say, well, I really want to be able to help make decisions with them. That's a different thing. Well, it's very different, right? And I think a lot of people just don't know, you know, it exists, right? So And and so as we, when we're we're thinking about that, so you mentioned two things. One is, um, you know, parents wanting to help. Um, And then also you mentioned that, you know, hopefully your child outlives you. Um, So as that parent who's kind of thinking about the future, like what happens right going forward, um, I know there are other things out there that um, some people may not know about, um, but I'm I'm in particularly thinking about, you know, special needs trusts and able accounts. And there's probably more that I'm not aware of, but um, I think, you know, I think we're leading into kind of that direction is like, okay, so now we've, launched <laughs> theoretically we're post 18 or now we're maybe our kids are you know 20 30 and we're an older parent thinking about oh now what's next right like how do i plan for that and you you mentioned also earlier like i you know no one complains about a bigger inheritance <laughs> um but but families also need to care for themselves you know parents need to care for themselves so so i kind of think all of those things are intertwined am i right about that 100%. No, exactly. I don't even think I have anything to add. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was their first. Well, I, except some people might not know what they are. <laughs> well, no, no, I'll elaborate on that, of course, right? But no, I, I and again, I find the biggest thing is is flexibility. And I really find that, you know, there's special needs trust, there's ABLE accounts. But to go back to, nobody should ever come into my office and tell me exactly what they need right? That would be really weird, right? You know, they need this type of trust with that type of language, right? Right. Your goal, (laughs) you should tell me, here's what I would like to do. Here's what's important to me, right? And it's the job of the financial planning team with an attorney or or whoever it is, right? You know, you don't walk into the doctor's office and say, I need this exact prescription in surgery. You say, this hurts. Right. And the doctor gives you a couple options on how to make it feel better, hopefully. Right. Um, And I really think that's really similar. And there's a lot of reading that can be done. And it is great to be educated because there are lots of different options. 
right? Yeah. So, you know, I say it's important to have, it's important to know why you did something. It's less important to know what it is. Okay. No, that makes sense. Yeah. As long as that you worked with somebody who you trust implemented it, right? Right. Because I've I've heard people say, I have this thing that my accountant helped me figure out and it's going to help me and it's going to help my kid in the future in this way, but they can explain it, which I think is great. Um, So, right. You don't need to know exactly like what it is, but you know how it works and how it helps how it helps you. That's what matters. Again, as long as you're working with a professional who who also knows to uh, credit to your financial planner, I find that most will kind of be like, oh yeah, I can help you with that. And then try to like Google and figure it out (laughs) afterwards. Um, And I I find that unfortunate, right? Because, and that's just the nature of my industry in a lot of ways. So I think, you know, the, I really appreciate that honesty from your, like, I don't Mm -hmm. see that enough. I see a lot who say, Oh yeah, I can help you. And then try to, you know, pretend. Right. Right. Um, so, but I definitely think there's a lot of nuances there. So when it comes to estate planning or special needs trusts or, you know, able accounts, I find, you know, it's, they're good things to have. Right. And they should absolutely be set up, but it's again, why are you setting them up and, you know, what's the intent and to make sure that they're done correctly. Mm-hmm. So I see so many and stop me with what I'm talking about here. Sure. If there's a specific part, um, you know, there's two different types of special needs trusts. One is slightly cheaper and almost never makes sense. Right. Um, and I'm, you know, and to me, you know, this is probably one of the most important things a parent will do, right? Because, you know, if, if the special needs trust doesn't work out, right. And it doesn't have the right language, right. Right. You're not around to fix it. Right. (laughs) So like, and, and by the way, I say cheaper, it's really not cheaper, maybe a few hundred dollars now, but could Mm -hmm. cost hundred, a thousand more down the road. Right. And it's a little easier. So that's the difference between what's called a standalone trust and then there's a trust that's inside a will, mm-hmm. you should almost never have one that's inside the will. Right. And I'm just going to leave it there. I'm not an attorney. I work with lots of attorneys. And I say almost never. There's always exceptions. There's always reasons. But for the majority, it's always better to have one that's standalone. So if there's, you know, yeah. a, anyway, it's really important. I see it a lot. So if somebody can take away from that and be like, I wonder what mine is and right. double check it, then this podcast was helpful. Well, helpful so- <laughs> for other reasons, but that would be. But with a special needs trust. So how is that different than a regular trust? Because I'm sure there's people who are like, well, I, I, I'm not that person who's going to be setting up an estate. I'm not going to be setting up a trust. Like there's just not. And I think that's a misconception that those, those types of um, plans I would say, I don't know what else to call them, but um, those types of plans are not from, for me, you know, because I, I either, I don't make the kind of money that my perception is of people who have estates and trusts. Um, And I think that's a misconception. And I think uh, it can really be helpful for a lot of people who don't think that they're that person. Hi, this is Elia. Just wanted to let you know that SSG also offers trainings, consultations, and parent coaching. Uh, check out my offerings at thespectrumstrategy.com, and I'd love to hear from you. Sure. So I can say that, you know, there's the trust that you read about that like a Donald Trump might have or someone <laughs> like that. It, it That's a very different type of trust than you know, what, what we talk about here. And the main reason is because you're able to leave the beneficiary assets that won't count against them for government benefits. That's the shortest, simpler answer, because, you know, if anyone thinks that 783 a month from social security income, you know, is enough to live off of, right. You're, you're Mm -hmm. sorely mistaken. I promise you. Um, so it's a, but it's a way to, again, done correctly, still allow beneficiary to own a house, own a car, do things and, you know, 
be able to make sure that individual is provided for if they need government benefits. But going back to what I said about flexibility, that's really important as well because I have an individual, there's money left in a trust, and he's going to be an actuary. He's going to make so much money, right? Right. You know, as an actuary with autism. And the type of trust that was set up was that kind I mentioned that I don't like as much. (laughs) And um, they can't get it out of the trust. He's never going to be, he's almost certainly never going to be on government benefits, right? Right. And they can't use the money. They have to pay fees to the court. They have to do all of these things. And again, everything was set up with good intentions, right? Mm. But that's why I always say maintaining flexibility is really important because you never know how things were going to change. Right. Right. True. Very true. And so now how would um, so so that would be what you described there would be the two versions of a special needs trust. Um, Now, with what's what's the age? There's a third, but I'll I'll work that in. Well, there's probably like 50. Right. I think an attorney's (laughs) favorite word is it depends. It depends. We actually had we had uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Peter Hahn's special education attorney. And he he says, I know you're going to not like my answer. We're talking about special ed law specifically now during COVID. But he said, my answer is going to be it depends. (laughs) I don't know him and I didn't listen to that podcast. But It's not up yet. It's it's coming in a couple of weeks. So if I did listen to it, that would be scary. Um, but yeah, so it, again, it depends. Um, so an ABLE account is similar to what's called a first party special needs trust. And the example I give is a fun one. Um, so third party is always better. So a third party means if, so a first party enable account means that if the individual passes away, the state has the right to get money back for benefits that was received. And most people don't like that as much yep. for understandable reasons. Sure. Yep. A first party trust means it was the individual's money. So let's say me and you go to lunch today. Okay. Mm-hmm. And obviously I want you to pay for lunch, right? <laughs> I don't want to pay for lunch. Now, if you give the waiter money for lunch, I never touch the money. That's third party. You paid for lunch. Thank you, right. by the way. Right. Now, if I pay for lunch, well, that's my money. That would count against me. Or if you gave me the money and then I paid for lunch, well, then I, I touched the money, right? So then it became my money. You gave it to me. I didn't have to pay the, you know, right. the restaurant. I could have walked out. So I always say it's always better to get someone else to pay for lunch, um, <laughs> which is a good rule just in general and <laughs> with, you know, estate planning. But what's nice about an ABLE account is... And I'm an ABLE ambassador for 2020. Um, I have my own ABLE account with Massachusetts, actually. Connecticut just got theirs last week. Mm -hmm. I was at the, that's middle of October. Uh, I was at the press conference. But so an ABLE account is similar to the college savings law and rules. Mm -hmm. And they're for individuals who had a disability prior to 26. What's great about the ABLE account is you can set it up as easy as setting up a college savings account or a savings account. Trusts are thousands of dollars. You can go online, open them in a couple minutes, but it, they're controlled by the individual, right? Mm-hmm. So with, with a special needs trust, the individual needs to request the money, right? They need to be able, they can't just write a check from their bank account, right? Okay. To be right. able to buy a car or buy a house. With an ABLE account, the money up to certain limits is excluded, right? From, you know, think of it as like invisible for terms of looking at assets and benefits, but it also really empowers the individual. And I think that's one of the biggest things to be able to spend the money and save the money and really get started saving, right? Because like you said, with your 401k example, right? Like that was one, like the best advice you ever got. And I hear that a lot. I wish I heard it every time I talk to somebody because it's perfect advice. But then the individual, if they're working or they, you know, I've noticed very timely if people got stimulus payments or enhanced unemployment from COVID-19 and they were working part time, they may be over certain asset limits. So there's been a lot more interest in ABLE accounts lately. And Mm -hmm. what I really like about them is it can give 
the individual can spend that money themselves, right? Right, right. So, and, you know, a guardian, a power of attorney, you know, a, debatably a rep payee, hopefully nobody from Social Security is on the call, can, you know, <laughs> pay, uh, you know, can, you know, help with an ABLE account and manage it as well. I'm but sorry. I think that's- Yeah, could you just say that again? It, I think you, you cut out a little bit. Sorry, uh, which part? Um, so you're saying who, who could who could set it up? You were back at the- Pretty, pretty much anyone. Week. How about okay. that? Okay, all right, <laughs> okay. there you go. <laughs> Let's do that. So pretty much anyone can set up an ABLE, you know, account, but it's, they have to have control or guardianship over the person. Otherwise, it's the individual, right? So if you- listen to this podcast and that person has supported decision-making, right? Then you could open it as either the power of attorney or the individual could open it themselves. Now, is that something that happens after 18 or can that happen before? So like with a, with a 529 plan for college savings, let's say Mm -hmm. that happened, you can start that when your child is born. Right. So, so with this, can that happen before they reach, uh, I guess, adult age? The answer is absolutely yes. And you are able to move up to, let's say the limit's 15,000 a year into an ABLE account. You Mm -hmm. can move money from a traditional college savings into an ABLE account every year up to that limit. So know that. That's good to know. <laughs> yes. Uh, and that's a fairly, that's a more recent development the past couple of years. But what I recommend is generally, if the individual's under 18, you know, one of the primary reasons is to stay qualified for benefits. And if they're not yet receiving any, and they really don't have disability related expenses. So for example, in some states, you get a tax deduction for college savings, but not enable. In Massachusetts, you're lucky you don't get for either. Um, so it doesn't, but I I think, you know, just to keep it simple. So you absolutely can do an able account, right. For, um, you know, an individual, but if you think they might go to college and there's a 529 account too, uh, again, that's fine. Right. 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 So cool. No, that's, that's great. So, um, as we move into now the, the adult, right. Who now maybe has, um, maybe is, you know, working with these types of things, like has maybe a special needs trust or has an able account. And you've, you know, you did kind of talk a little bit about how they work already. Um, what other strategies or, you know, things do you think that, um, an adult, you know, I would, I want to use the term emerging adult, I guess, um, (laughs) would need to think about, particularly for someone who might have some, you know, needs that, you know, other, people might not think about. So when it comes to the the parents, especially too, even before the individual gets 18, involve them as much as you can in the process as possible. I appreciate that parents and educators have spent so much time like advocating for their children. And again, they've done a great job, but again, you can't advocate forever. And, you know, ask the person. Sometimes I find a a lot of times I find the individual is not asked and left out of the conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. So the more, so the more the individual can ask to be included in the conversation, right. The better Mm -hmm. as well. And, you know, advocate for yourself. And that means simply asking questions. If you don't understand what someone like me is talking about, that's a good thing. Nobody does. Right. (laughs) So don't feel like it's, beyond you or you can't do it. Right. Um, so what I really find is, so it's important to ask questions, ask the why something was done, right. Ask, Mm -hmm. you know, give your opinion. This is, you know, your life. It's very important. And, you know, understand why something was done. The biggest thing that I find is that many individuals are working and they're very concerned if they work or they get an inheritance or something happens that they'll lose benefits they're getting. Right. And that is a lot of times a myth, but it's not unwarranted. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I like, I, I don't know every state, but I, I use Connecticut's. So we have 32 different benefit programs with 32 different sets of eligibility criteria. Right. <laughs> so, you know, to say that you're going to work and lose benefits or you get an inheritance or lose benefits could very well not be true. 
Mm-hmm. Right. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be careful. But so one of my examples I really like is I have a friend who, you know, um, didn't want to felt was told if she worked, she would lose her benefits. Well, what mm-hmm. benefits are you getting? What's important to you? And, you know, through the discussions, well, her health benefits, right. And her you know, job coach and behavioralist, she can make 75,000 a year and keep all of them. Okay. So okay. we're good. Right. The 70, you know, we have, when we get close to there, we'll be okay. But for now we're good. Well, the other benefit is let's say a thousand dollars a month from social security. Well, if you get a job making 50,000 a year and that's something you want to do, you're probably okay losing the thousand dollars a month, right? right. To get 4,000. Right. So on one hand, she was right. She lost benefits, but, you know, she didn't lose the benefits that were most important to her, right? Right, So I I find there's this, you know, scarcity that we really need to protect government benefits and that if you work, you can't, you know, get government benefits. And that creates a cycle. Um, And I'm not speaking from a place of privilege. Uh, I was, I didn't mention this earlier. I was voluntarily conserved when I was 19. I had rights taken away from me. And I have a business, six employees, married house, kids, dogs. So obviously I'm completely and utterly capable of taking care of myself, at least the laundry. But there are plenty of things where I I don't do. But that's what I'm saying. And on that same token, I was on Medicare, Medicaid. Mm -hmm. I'm lucky that what interests me happens to be money. So that was helpful, right? And getting out of that. But, you know, there is that cycle that it creates, right? right? Of being like, and I know because I've been in it, I'm mm-hmm. not saying everyone can get out of it, but that's the biggest advice I, I would give is, you know, it's important to have those safety nets. It's important to what if, you know, uh, my anxiety, like what if, you know, burnout, what if something happens to me and I am unable to go back to work? But I've done the research and the case studies and, you know, in almost every circumstance, then you know what, then you apply for those benefits again and you get them. Right. right? right. Um, so it's, it's a very, lot of fear, right? That <laughs> yes. And I understand, I understand it, totally understand it. But I think it comes from a place of not, the fear comes from a place of not knowing. And that's why I think it, it's important to have people like you explain exactly what you just did. And I think um, it, it, it resonates with so many people because this is what we've been told, right? We've been told that as, as families, we've been told that as educators, you know, we've been told this maybe as adults, you know, saying, oh, but you, you want to, you don't want to lose what you're getting, but you're right. It's really more of this, you know, comparison of, well, well what, what am I getting? And what's my, what, what's the benefit, you know, honestly, the cost benefit analysis of keeping, of keeping them or saying, oh no, but I'm going to gain so much more by doing this other thing. Um, and, and that's really more of what I want to do. And, and again, it comes back, I think always to, um, you know, this asking someone what it is they want and, and what are their plans and what do they want that end goal to look like? Some people might not know, um, but at least right, start that process going, um, which again, builds self-awareness and builds self-advocacy. So I think it's, it's the same thing I talk about over and over again, but, but so helpful if we kind of pull that back even younger. Um, You know, I, I made a note here, as you were saying, I think about, you know, transition planning, whether it's 16 federally or 14 in some other states, but like this can be part of transition planning is teaching about you know, money and finance. And, you know, that's part of self-care, I think. I a million percent agree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so well I kind of figured, I kind of yeah. figured. But, <laughs> so. but, um, but, and I think, um, you know, uh, you have a lot of resources on your um, website. Do you, you know, can you share a little bit about what people can find when they, when they go there? And I'll put that information in the description as well so they can find you, but you do have a lot of cool stuff on your site. Well, thank you. I try. And like, you know, it's interesting because we're a different type of financial planning company. There's somebody who works with me who does 
you know, driving and autism presentations, right? And his experience with that. And we partnered with a driving school and it's, so wait, why is a financial planner working with a driving school again? And, to, you know, the answer is everything we just spoke about, right? Independence, turning 18, you know, growing up. And, and also because he's great and he wanted to talk about it and people love it. So, um, <laughs> but then my other... So we have some nice content. We we do blogs quite frequently. Uh, we try to make things as entertaining as possible, um, but also <laughs> informative and not overcomplicate, not just throw gibberish for no reasons. One of my favorite things that we've been doing for a while is we have an event calendar uh, where we have thousands and thousands of events from around the country that are autism, sensory-friendly, advocacy, we import them from all the organizations. You can filter, search. It's updated every day. And like I said, we have thousands and thousands. So, for example, AE, every single one of AE's events is there, mm -hmm. right, uh, from their calendar. And if you look today, there's probably two dozen things around the country going on because one of the things I heard was people were looking for information, right? People were looking for resources. I saw so many posts on Facebook group of, you know, where can I find this group? Where can I find this event? Where can I do that? And I said, and then there was an individual always sharing events on Facebook. Um, right. And I said, how would you like to get paid for what you're doing? You're really good at finding all these events. And we've been doing it for a long time. So that's just a great resource. Um, my other pages, I have information again on ABLE accounts, what we do, working with employers, um, you can search our blog. I don't know. There probably isn't much that isn't there. Right. right. So. Yeah. And so your website, I'm just going to say it because some people might not yes. be able to write it, you know, whatever, write it down right now, but it's planning across the spectrum.com. Correct. That is correct. Yes. Excellent. So, um, and are you, I know you're on LinkedIn, correct? Yes. I'm very active. I share a lot on LinkedIn. So. And okay. And then any other, I think Facebook, Facebook right? Yeah. Um, if I'm on Twitter, just don't, I, I don't <laughs> like it that much, but uh, LinkedIn and Facebook and uh, I'm probably the, the most active. So, and if you just, and if you go to my website, there's links to all of those there. So. Excellent. So, you know, thank you so much for spending this time with me. I mean, I think, you've given uh, me some stuff to think about personally. And I think other people listening are like, wow, some of this is new for me. Maybe, you know, my, my kids are still young, um, but it's a time to start thinking, or maybe we're like, Hey, we should be thinking about this like right now. Um, so thank you so much for presenting this. And, um, you know, again, I will put all of your contact information in, in the description. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Thanks for listening to Autism in Real Life. This is Elia Walsh, and if you like the show, please hit subscribe so you can get notified each time a new episode is released. I also offer training, consultations, and parent coaching, and would love to help you in any way that I can. You can check out my offerings at thespectrumstrategy.com, and when you join my email list, you can get a code to receive a discount off of an online class or a coaching session. Looking forward to hearing from you. Take care and see you next time.